Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new episode of LavaCon, where we gather and share expert insights on security program management delivered with, by, and for the most respected security leaders around the world. Together, we'll explore solutions to the most pressing business challenges unique to the careers of CISOs and cybersecurity executives. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello, everybody. This is Sean Martin, and you're very welcome to the Blue Lava community here on ITSP Magazine, where we talk about operationalizing security program management by the CISOs for the CISOs. And uh, I'm thrilled today to have none other than Mark Weatherford join the show. Mark, thanks for thanks for being here. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me. Been looking and forward to this one. I know. I know. We, we finally got here. And... Uh, scheduling and tech technicalities and uh we're connected that's that's the, that's the reality of uh, the internet and yeah. technology yeah. and i mean i guess the the point i'll make to to kick this off is that we're relying on other things to do this right i didn't build this app and i certainly didn't create this microphone just as two examples in life and in work we rely on a ton of stuff and that's what we're going to talk about today which is uh supply chain and uh, I believe we're going to cover third-party risk and vendor management and things like that as well. And uh, before we do that, Mark, I certainly know you, and it's an honor and, and a pleasure to have you on the show. But some folks may not know you. I, I don't believe that's possible. But but for those that don't, for those that don't, uh, you know, you do so much for the community, and uh, they certainly know you by name at some point. But anyway, uh, a bit about who Mark is. A couple things you've done. That are relevant to uh, to your role and your and this conversation in particular. Well, um, I guess first thing is you know I've, I've been a CISO or CSO five different times now um, in both the public sector and the private sector. So, um, I, well, I'm certainly no expert, but I feel like I have the chops to talk to my CISO colleagues um, and. The probably, I think, with respect to supply chain security, supply chain risk management, um, I work with a couple of companies now um, doing some consulting, but also with some startups that are um, in this space. And so, I've you know, it, it's become really, it's, it's become kind of a, a, an important point for me. I and I'll tell you when it started, I must have been. Four, maybe five years ago, I was asked to give a talk at, uh, at NASA um, on cybersecurity and supply chain risk management. And I thought, oh, this is easy to do. And the, as, I, as I started researching it, you know, to give the talk, I, I realized, holy cow, I really don't know a lot about the supply chain. I mean, thought about it, you know, from, a, from a, an operational perspective, you know, that I'm dependent upon, you know, my, getting my stuff and whether my stuff is hardware or software or devices or services, you know, there's a tail that goes along with that supply chain that 
I better understand it. And and uh, uh, I guess at the at the NASA event, it just hit home to me as I'm hearing other speakers talk about, um, you know, when they put a satellite up in space that's going to be there for you know twenty or thirty years, they have to know the provenance of every single component, whether it's a nut, bolt, and washer, or a you know a circuit or a piece of wire, they need to know where that came from and that it was built, you know, within specifications and tolerances. And it really kind of brought home to me the importance of supply chain. That So that was my journey into becoming, you know, more knowledgeable about the, about this topic. Yeah. And let's, let's start there. You've already started. Let's keep going with that because <clears throat> clearly I have a cybersecurity uh, background. And, and when I think of supply chain, my natural uh, trajectory is third party vendors. And yeah. typically that's, well, these days it's software and cloud and maybe a hardware device thrown in there. Um, if I'm running firewalls on prem and things like that. Um, and then from, a, and that's all the security, but then the organizationally you might have HR software or CRM software, but again, it's, it's still software. And I, I'm, so I want to get your thoughts on this because what you described in, in the NASA world is nuts and bolts, right? That uh, quality there is paramount. It has to last, well, it has to start with quality and last for 20 years with quality. So maybe reset our expectation as CISOs and CSOs for what supply chain means for the organization. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, honestly, I still talk to people all the time that still think of supply chain as uh, as a logistics problem. And that is, how do I get parts on a truck or a ship or an airplane or a train and get it from point A to point B? I mean, there's, you know, 20 years ago, that was that was what we talked about when we talked about supply chain. Today, we're talking about what is going into the components that we're using. Um what, who is building the software for the applications that we're using? Um, and, you know, the, the, the best example is, or not the best, but a great example, I think, is, is not Petya, you know, when the Russians um, corrupted the software of this little, this little application that was used by all these companies in the Ukraine, thinking that, um, you know, that, that they were going to attack Ukraine that way. Well, of course, as we all know, anybody that's been in this business, you know, you can't just attack one person. There are there are threads and tangents all over the place. And, of course, not Petya then, you know, spread globally. So, you know, the reality is that the supply chain, especially third-party supply chain, is far more complex today than, than you know, than it has been. And, and we're dependent. We're dependent on people that we don't even know. Um, we don't have relationships with, um, and and you know when you add cyber to the cybersecurity to this, and you think about um, especially software. You know, nobody writes software anymore. Well, I should say there will be people out there that'll kill me for saying that. But most software today, most applications today, are built using other people's software you built using other subroutines other components you know go to github and you find a 
uh, a timing protocol or, or a um, a little app that does counting for you, and you you don't write it. You just go find it and you build. You put it into your thing, into your into your what you're building. So, um, so without really understanding the provenance of all this software, um, you know, you can be doing things that you literally have no idea um, what the unintended consequences of integrating that software into your um, into your technology. And a, a really quick example, um, I was consulting to a company about four years ago, and uh, they were they were doing an acquisition, and they asked me to come in and just kind of um, help them oversee their their due diligence that they were doing with this with this company that they wanted to acquire. Um, well, it was interesting because about probably well more than fifty percent of this company's current revenue came from the federal government, the U.S. federal government. Well, when we did the due diligence for this for this company, we realized that most of their code was written in Russia. Um, and now, you know, this was three or four years ago, so it it wasn't the you know Russia wasn't you know, front and center like they are today. But even then, you know, what I told them was, I said, you know, all of your government customers are going to go away if you buy this company. You know, they're, they're, you, for you to have a relationship like that with code that's being built in Russia, you know, your government customers just aren't going to tolerate that. So, so understanding, you know, these third party relationships and not just third party, but, you know, fourth, fifth, you know, et cetera, party relationship is really, really important. Um, and, you know, cybersecurity has just added a component to supply chain risk management that we didn't think about before, you know, where um, creating disruptions, defects, and diversions um, is often the the goal of some of these these third parties and, and finding their way into our uh, into our environments, you know, it, it can be really damaging to us. And I'm wondering, do you, do you have any examples of maybe that fourth or fifth or nth entity that's part of an ecosystem or a supply chain that uh, is wreaking havoc? I don't know. Is not pet yet a good example with that? Or yeah, uh, well, I mean. I mean, you could you could say Solar Winds was an example of that. I mean, that was a maybe not a, a uh, that was a second tier, or but but you know the 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 way it happened was you know without recounting the whole the whole event, you know we just become so dependent and so trusting of our vendors that we just assume that what they're giving us is what they think they're giving us and what they say they're giving us. So without us doing our own due diligence, without us doing our own, um, you know, um, uh, reviews and, and ensuring that those suppliers, in fact, do know what they're doing. You know, there's a saying that we've said for a long time, you know, if I trust you, I assume the risk that you assume. And if you don't know what risk your vendors are assuming, you know, shame on you. So that's the that's the big question mark. Because I, I mean, first tier, and I don't know how many. I'm trying to think back now to when I was looking at this space, uh, big media entertainment 
company may have had a thousand first first tier vendors. Yeah. Yeah. And, and who knows how many of those had been in, which obviously make the second tier, but third and fourth and nth. I mean, nth means infinity. So infinity seems to me as impossible. (laughs) So so how do we, how do we, how do we get a handle on this? Well, you know, anybody who says security is easy is not in the security business. You know, and we've said it for a long time, 100% security is impossible um, if we want to do business. Um, our job is to do as much um, due diligence as we can to, as is possible, that we know about. Um, what we, you know, what we don't want to do is to have somebody come to us and say, wow, you know, your, your fourth tier supplier is, um, is providing uh, product out of North Korea. You know, how, you know, shameful would that be? Um, but there was a, there was a, a report by Interos. Interos is, is a supply chain uh, risk management company. They put out a report um, r- right after, um, I think it was the same week that, that Russia invaded Ukraine in February. And they said, um, oh, there were more than 2,100 companies, U.S.-based companies, um, and over something over a thousand European companies that had at least one direct tier one supplier in Russia, um, and about I think over 450 firms in the U.S. Um, had tier one suppliers in Ukraine. So you can imagine, I, you know, how many of these companies actually knew that they had tier one suppliers in Russia and Ukraine. And so when you think about the, you know, the, the proportion of us and European supply chains that include tier one Russian or, or Ukrainian companies, while it may be low, relatively low, when you think of the universe of, of suppliers out there, it increases a lot when you start thinking about indirect relationships with suppliers of tier two, three, and and other levels that you may not know about. Um, I want to say, I, I think it was part of that same report, uh, that same Interos report that said something like 200,000 firms in the U.S. had um, tier three suppliers in, in uh, either Russia or Ukraine. So, I mean, I had this conversation with, with one of the companies that I consult to. You know, we did some some quick due diligence after this, and we realized you know, our board was going to be asking us about this, you know, where are our relationships? And, you know, so thankfully, you know, I, I don't know that we were a hundred percent accurate, but we were 90% accurate that we could say, yeah, we know where they are. Um, and so that's why it's just, I think it's just really, really important to, to do your, um, do your dual due diligence in advance, um, and know where, where these guys are. So uh, that's that's helpful at the onboarding process, the procurement process, oh. <laughs> um, perhaps. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of legacy. I know stuff. where you're going. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so how uh, how does and I don't know? Does this fall on on your shoulders as a as a CISO, Mark, to to do that work, or or do you share the share the load with yeah. the procurement team and and uh, I don't know the is there a risk officer involved or who, who's involved in this to really get a handle on that? 
Yeah, well, well, certainly your procurement folks, um, and and you know your risk, uh, if your risk risk management folks are involved. So I would say some of it is the responsibility of the CISO or the security team. Um, it, certainly, if they are if they are security components and security technologies, but I almost felt I've always felt well, you know, it's kind of my responsibility as a as a warden of the of the company that to take an interest in this, and even if I don't own it, you know, to ask the questions and make other people um, uncomfortable with answering the questions. So, um, you know, we get that happens to us far too often, you know, where people like to, to put us on the spot with hard questions. It's our responsibility, I think, as, you know, as good citizens of our companies to make sure that, um, you know, that somebody is answering these questions. Um, and man, I tell you what, boards, board of directors around the world were really sweating it out, still are today, but really we're sweating it out, you know, right after after um, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine and some of these reports started coming out and people going, holy cow. And if you think about it, I mean, there's a, there are certain sectors um, of critical infrastructure that are obviously more dependent upon Russia and Ukraine than others. You know, if you're in the farming or agricultural community, you know, Ukraine is like right at the top of the list. If you're in the oil and gas business rushes right at the top of your list, you know, whether they're providing pipes or providing um, geography or people, um, you, you just got to know this stuff. You, you ask the question, you may, in fact, you're probably never going to get an answer that you're satisfied with. Um, but at least you can feel confident that you've asked the questions and you're, you're, you're working towards getting the answer. Yeah. And it, and it raises a question for me, Mark, that I, I like to look at things uh, from the CIA triad perspective and yep. de depending on what you say and the, and the path you took to say what you say and, and, and maybe who you mention and what you say can kind of frame your, your thoughts in, in, your scenario you just talked about, and when you mentioned Russia, I think nefarious and malicious, right? And with that, I, uh, well, I don't know. I guess uh, pipes, I think availability, but uh, perhaps uh, with food, I think integrity, right? And then absolutely, when, when you start talking hospitals and healthcare, privacy is important, but also integrity and availability. So I guess my... My question to you is how do how can CISOs kind of get their head around what the risk is to their supply chain without getting caught up in predefined or predetermined biases that they may have from previous experiences or just that's yeah. how the team operates yeah. or well, you know it, it, to step way back into the conversation then, understanding what risk management means to your company is really important. And every company, and I've worked with more than a dozen, a lot, has a different risk appetite. You know, what, what one company may say, oh, my God, this is a priority one for us. Another company may say, you know, it's a priority five or six, or, or maybe we'll get to it one, one day. So uh, I, I don't know if this is answering your question, but you really do need to understand 
what your risk posture is. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's geography dependent, you know, as in the Russia-Ukraine issue. Other times it may be financial dependent. It may be, um, you know, there's, there's a, a, a lot of different um, dependencies that, um, that your company may be faced with from a, from a risk perspective. You know, are you in a, are you in a, if you're in, if you're in, in a fin- the financial sector, you're, you're worried about, um, of course, everybody's worried about ransomware, but you're worried about, you know, what are some of the implications of some of these technologies like, like blockchain that, you know, that may disrupt the financial industry at some point. Um, so, you know, and, and again, this is why, man, being a CISO today, I, I honestly think it's, it's the hardest job in the world, you know, um, it's certainly in the technology space, because, you know, when, when I started doing this 25 or 30 years ago, I guess, you know, showing my age, it was, I could, I, I, I felt comfortable calling myself a security expert because I knew more than most people. Today, man, anybody who calls himself a cybersecurity expert, I think, you know, it, it takes just a couple questions to, to show that, now maybe they're expert on some things, but you, nobody's an expert in everything. There's just that it's just too much for us to be to be concerned about today. I mean, you look at I always fall back on this and but, um, momentum cyber, they're, you know, an analyst and financial firm. You know, they put out this every quarter. They put out their um, their uh, 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 it's a slide that shows all of the companies in the, the market space. landscape or something. Yeah, yeah, the market land cyber market landscape. And you know, you look at that. There are thousands of companies on there in dozens of different sectors, whether it's endpoint or encryption or IDM or you know SIM or SOAR, and and. I do, I challenge anybody to say I'm an expert in all of these categories and I can, you know, pick the best product out of everyone. No one can do that. There's just too much. So, I mean, so many questions in my head, Mark. So I think the, I mean, I, I remember hearing a story where uh, the pandemic impacted production of a particular material that impacted the supply chain for a, a widely globally used um, medication. I don't know if it was for insulin or asthma. I, mean, I think it was asthma actually. And it was because workers couldn't produce the material in China and then, then it just impacted everything else. Yep. Um, that affects a lot of people, right? Certainly asthma and uh, probably insulin as well, depending on which one it is. But how does that's not technology necessarily, but that it could be, right? It could be. So I guess my question is how, how do you map or, or is it what I'm trying to figure out? Is, is there a picture that the organization draws that says, here's our ecosystem. Here's the, yeah. the big red spots that, by golly, we can't let anything happen here. Um, this is important from an availability. This is important for for uh, privacy and, and security. Um, how, how do the companies kind of do that initial work? Well, 
this is where I think you have the issue of, you know, what I, you've probably heard me say this before, what I call the, the Fortune 500 and the Unfortunate 5000. You know, the Fortune 500 have the resources to, to throw against some of these problems. So, um, so they can do that. And, and you mentioned earlier, and I, I wanted to say it, I, I, I had done, um, I'd done some, some work for a company and they wanted to know, they wanted to review and see who all of their first tier suppliers were. And when we first talked to them, they said, yeah, we think we probably got, you know, three, four, 5,000 suppliers. After we did, you know, talk to their procurement, talk to everybody in the company, they had like, 12 or 13,000 suppliers. So they were stunned by that. So I was at a, I was at a talk and, and um, the CISO at um, Lockheed Martin um, was there and we were just having a, a coffee, a chat, you know, on the side. And I mentioned this story and he looked at me like, that's nothing. He said, I have 90,000 first tier suppliers. So when you think of, and I'm getting back around to answering your question. When you think of 90,000 first-tier suppliers, understanding what the spider web of, of, of you know, second, third, fourth-tier suppliers that these companies, that feed these companies, that's, it, it, that falls into the really hard category. And, and in fact, I think it falls into a category that most companies cannot solve manually on their own now. Now we have to depend on technology. And that's where, you know, not that I'm, I'm pitching a company, but that's a company like Enteros. That's what they do. They, they, they have intelligence from thousands of companies and they're pulling all this in and they're, they can map out where, um, where those second, third tier. And, and, and by the way, a lot of people, they think they can create some, some diversity in their supply chain by having, you know, two, three, four suppliers maybe providing the same product so that if one of them goes away, they still have. But you go back to tier three or tier four, and you may find that there's one supplier back there that's supplying, supplying all of these other guys. So you still have a single point of failure somewhere in the supply chain. So I think to answer your question, then, you know, that's... Um, uh, to get specific about it, I don't think you can do it manually. You ha we have to have you have to leverage technology now and intelligence information to be able to create this map of what all of those relationships look like. I mean, it, it's it's. I mean, think of it. If you had ninety thousand first tier suppliers, how many fourth tier suppliers do you have? Like forty million? I don't know. You know, it's a big number though, and they're global. They're 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 all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I can't count that high, Mark. So uh, I thankfully, know. I don't. I, I don't own this problem. But I, to your point, I think te technology is important. And I'm wondering, early days or companies trying to score. I know there's a lot of work going into uh, ensuring contracts have the right language. Um, questionnaires have been been thrown around everybody has their own questionnaire um i guess that there's a lot of even just the, to go back to the contract if you if you map to nist or if you meet iso 27001 or if you do high trust or whatever it may be there, there's some statement that says please do this and we're going to hold you to it and then then you're back to well how do i convert 
<laughs> that they did and and then that actually what they did really matters and really addresses yeah. the risk. Yeah. So how how does technology play a role there then? Because I've seen a lot of stuff come come around, but I don't. We're still talking about this as a huge problem. Well, I hope you don't mind me talking about other companies because, but again, I think we have to leverage technologies. You know, um, Cyber GRX is doing that. Cyber GRX is is mapping. Um, um, risk against certain companies and then they use that to leverage that um, for other companies that they work with um, other other um, other customers of theirs so they're not recreating the wheel every time you know if, if if they map you know that this one product or this one service or one device you know that they map where all of that comes from then they can reuse that information for other vendors so again I think um, I think leveraging um, technology in that way is 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 very very helpful. Um, and and you, you you know you talk about you talked about um, understanding your vendors and you know putting it in contracts. Again, this falls into the very hard category of okay. Even if you did it the first time, even if you did it today, um, and you know, and they ha- they were. They were, you know, they came to you and they said, "Hey, we have a SOC two. We're uh, we're CSF. We've done a CSF assessment, and we're, you know, we're five on on all of the the categories. And you know, we just went through ISO two thousand twenty seven thousand one. And but that doesn't mean that that's good tomorrow. Um, so you have to have a process. And again, I, I'm. It's easy for me to sit here and say this. It's very, very hard to do this. But you have to have a process where you periodically go back to these vendors and, and, and make them you know, pony up again and say, hey, we've done that. Again, that's where companies like CyberGRX can really be helpful here. And I wanted to, to, bring, to say one, bring out one more little thing. And, and it really revolves around um, about business continuity. You know, that's part of our DNA is to have, you know, business continuity, crisis management, um, disaster recovery. That's part of our DNA as security folks to be able to understand with that. Well, business continuity plans that address supply chain disruptions, I think it's, uh, it, it's not new, but it's new from the perspective of when you look at this global supply chain, and, and I bring this up for a very specific reason. Again, not to make this, this conversation about Russia and, and Ukraine, but um, all those companies that I mentioned earlier that, you know, that had these Russia and Ukraine relationships, um, one of their most immediate concerns, or if it wasn't, it should have been after, the, after Russia invaded Ukraine was, am I in violation of of U.S. laws, you know, there's a the the CFIUS and OFAC. CFIUS is um, Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, and OFAC is it's out of the Treasury Department. That's Foreign Assets Control, and these are very specifically directed to companies that invest, foreign companies that invest in the United States, and um, and investments by U.S. companies in and companies outside the United States. I remember there, I read something and I think it was in the Washington post. There was a, um, there was a, 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 
venture capital company in Silicon Valley that all of a sudden was like they were I won't, they were they were having um, anxiety attacks because some of their major investors were Russian oligarchs. Um, and, uh, yeah, and now all of a sudden they're backtracking trying, trying to figure out how do we get these guys out of our portfolio? So, you know, th- that's, that's on the policy side of things, which, you know, my, when I was at DHS, I spent a lot of time on this, this high level policy stuff. And, but it's really important to understand that. I mean, even if everything else is clear, the last thing in the world you want is, you know, Treasury Department knocking on your door and saying, hey, we're going to sanction you, a U.S. company, and fine you and, uh, and apply civil penalties on you because you have this relationship with somebody, a, a nation or a company that's on the OFAC um, advisory list. So, uh, Where do we go from there, Mark? So I, I think we're coming up on the, the end of time here and I, I want to make sure we give a couple nuggets to yeah to the to the CISOs listening um, it I mean even just me listening to you I, I feel overwhelmed <laughs> and I imagine <laughs> and I imagine a lot of a lot of those listening are as well if they're a small small company with a small team but are doing big things um, and in particular the software space and maybe maybe that's an area we can we can maybe wrap with uh, is and what what can they do to start? Because um, it sounds to me like they need they need at least some visibility into kind of the big swath of everything yeah. going on. Right. Yeah. So w- when the question comes, are you? Do you? Have you? Will you? <laughs> what happens if this goes away? Well, do we have redundancy? Do we have resiliency? So what, what's the, let's say the first thing listeners can do next week to really amp up their game here. Yeah. And not I an, think and kind of remove, remove the overwhelming feeling perhaps even. Yeah. yeah. So two things, the two things that are eminently doable um, and maybe not doable next week, but they're, they're, they're things that you can start on that are not overwhelming. And the first one is get a list, know who all your tier one suppliers. Who do you have contracts with? Who do you actually have a contract that has two signatures on it and you're providing them money for services or product? You know, some of, if you have that list, there are things going to pop out of that. They're going to be obvious that you need to dig into further. Um, it just it's just going to naturally happen. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and again, <laughs> falling back on on this CSF and you know Sands Top Twenty and everything else, have an asset inventory. Know what products you have in your environment, software and hardware. Um, you know, if you, it, I still think that that's the number one thing that every CISO should do. You should know what products you have. And, you know, it is cliche as hell, and I, I hate to say it, but I'm going to. You can't secure what you don't know you have. And um, and <laughs> I'm not going to name the company, but but a com- previous company that I worked for, um, I did, um, I had a bunch of global CISOs working with me. And, you know, we did a kind of a tabletop said, where's all of our security products and, and where do we get them? And 
it was <laughs> i had i think i ended up with eight page spreadsheet of eight pitch font we own every security product known to mankind and probably 10 versions of it um across the entire universe of our of our companies so you know if you if you can do an asset inventory and come up with that kind of information you can really quickly figure out where you can start consolidating where you can start saving money i mean again in, in this case in in some cases we were buying the same product from the same vendor but we were paying different prices at each company and in in other cases we were buying different products um, from different companies all over the map. And then we were trying to integrate the, the, the results of those products into a single pane of glass, which was impossible. So we were able to gain a lot of security efficiencies out of that. And we were able to save a lot of money. And from a supply chain perspective, we were able to really understand who our suppliers are, who are our first tier suppliers, which then gave us leverage to go back to them and, and start asking, okay, who are your first tier suppliers? Who are your second tier suppliers? That's a, that's a fantastic uh, story, Mark, because I mean, you just think about the, there's a lot of risk just in complexity, right? Oh. So oh. If, if you can eliminate some complexity, hallelujah. And the other thing that I, that I really want to point out, and I'm, I'm sure others heard this as well there's money to be saved <laughs> if you can be more efficient a bit, bit smarter not just buy everything for the sake of buying it maybe as you pointed out consolidate vendors consolidate versions um, there's a business case there it's not just yeah. not just reducing risk there's actually a business case helping the bottom line which i presume for a lot of CISOs would be music to their ears trying to get budget to do stuff so if, yep. if there's a potential to, to save some money um, and reduce risk, uh, to me, that sounds like a win-win. I, I, I want to say one thing about this, though, too. Okay. I, I'm not a huge fan of eliminating all diversity and products because, you know, when you, can, when, when you consolidate everything and, and eliminate that diversity, you're creating single points of failure. So yep. a little bit of diversity is good and healthy, I think. A lot of diversity is bad and inefficient and very cost cost ineffective. Yeah, Thought, thoughtful diversity. <laughs> yeah, thoughtful diversity. That's right. Uh, well, Mark, uh, no question. I I could talk to you for hours uh, on this topic, and uh, perhaps we will have you have you on uh, again to yeah. uh, to dig into some other other points. Um, but I think we we gave. Gave the folks a lot to think about and some actionable stuff to take away pretty much near term, which is uh, the whole point of this channel, which is to yep. help help your peers and in return help you <laughs> do better yep. do better at you know, uh, and, raising and, or reducing risk and raising posture. Yep. And you know, and that's why I am part of this, you know, this blue lava community. When I I, you know, I told other people this story, you know, when when Laz first told me what his intentions were several years ago to create this community, I thought, Laz, who would do this? I mean, who, who's benevolent enough just to invest money to go out and, and create a community like this? But, but you know, anybody who knows Laz knows he's one of the most sincere, honest people in the face of the earth. And he, you know, he put his money where, the, where his mouth is. He's creating this community 
um, of CISOs and security professionals, I should say, it's broader than just CISOs, to be part of this, to collaborate and work together and have a community of, of colleagues where, um, hey, I may not know you, but I know of you, You're, we're part of the same community, can I ask you some questions about something? You know, that's the value of a community like this, where we can all um, work together and, and share our own experiences and our, you know, our, our skin needs in many cases. Yeah. This isn't about threat intel sharing. It's about experience sharing and real information sharing. And it, yep. I mean, the conversations we're having here are incredible. And I know, Mark, that... Uh, Laz and the Lava team uh, appreciate you and all that you do, and they're happy to have you as part of this. And uh, look forward to having you on again. So, yep, look forward to it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for this episode. Stay tuned for more, and of course, uh, get connected to others in the community through the portal and uh, check out all the other resources available to you. With that, I'll uh, sign off. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the LavaCom podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.